Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Naomi Rovnik. Today we're looking at Cuba, where the government is to end its freeze on issuing licences for private businesses, but it has also issued new regulations aimed at limiting profits and increasing tax revenues that will have the effect of stifling entrepreneurship. In this report, Hannah Murphy talks to our Latin America editor, John Paul Rathbone. John Paul, what exactly are the new rules and who will be the worst affected? Well, overall, this is an unsurprising but still breathtaking picture of the scope and footprint of contemporary Cuban bureaucracy and the degree to which it's trying to suffocate the private sector. It's the first substantial policy statement by Miguel Diaz-Canel, who became president in April, taking over from Raul Castro. And it affects 123 categories of self-employed people, everyone from loo attendants to translators or car instructors. And the rules go into gleeful detail into the controls that all of these sectors will face. More or less 600,000 Cubans are affected That's 13% of the labor force, which is the size of the very motley and fragmented and small private sector in Cuba. And who's the sort of worst affected then? The worst affected is anyone who wants to try and set up their own private business. The regulations are really breathtaking. Just to go back to the loo attendant example, these are people who would be attending loos, public loos. They're divided into five categories and each one with a different tax bracket and payment. So... Anyone who has a private sector business, someone who rents out a house, someone who has a restaurant, someone who has a car, someone who is a dancer or sells paintings to visiting tourists, each of these categories of self-employment will have to register with the Cuban authorities. They have to open a bank account. So all of this business will be funneled through the state sector, and then they will be taxed on a very steep sliding scale on their revenues. And I think the overall picture is that the Communist Party in Cuba really wants to bring everyone under incredible state control in a way you could call this 129-page document the revenge of the bureaucrat. Can you give a bit more detail on the recent backdrop to this decision? How much have things eased up for businesses in Cuba since the last days of Fidel Castro? Well, I think you have to use the idea of a business sector in Cuba in inverted commas because there are three actors, basically. There's the state. This is a communist country with a Soviet-style economy, and that's the largest actor. And there's a very small sector of foreign investors who run hotels. They have a building business as well. Guig is quite big in Cuba, building some of the hotels. And that's in a separate camp. And then there is the private sector in Cuba, which was basically non-existent until the start of this century. Fidel Castro was always very much against it. When he stepped down from the presidency for ill health in 2008, his brother, Raul Castro, took over and allowed some limited liberalization of the private sector. This is for people who, if you travel to Havana, will take you in a car, will feed you in their private restaurant, or will put you up in their home. How is the business community reacting? The reception has been not warm, I would say, and extremely worried. This is an economy that's being squeezed by the collapse of its closest ally, Venezuela. It's been squeezed a little bit by President Trump. But most of all, it's squeezed by the so-called internal embargo, which is the thicket of rules and regulations that really stop Cubans or anyone in the island from leading what you would consider in almost any other non-communist country to be a normal life. I don't expect that it's been welcomed that warmly by foreign investors because it's a sign of the way things are going. Politics is again trumping economics on this island. 
And as for the small private sector in Cuba, well, with all the censorship, it's hard to get a sense of what their reaction is, but it will probably be one of anger and exasperation. These regulations are really mind-bogglingly complicated. You really have to wrap a cold towel around your head to understand all the different levels of inspections. And the complexity of the regulations also suggests that the scope for corruption and discretion is going to be huge. And again, I think this is just showing that the Communist Party in Cuba really doesn't want any competition from an emerging private sector at all on the island. Is the government completely unanimous about this or are there any groups that are pushing the government to be perhaps more liberal? Looking inside the Cuban Communist Party is like trying to look inside a black box. But there are perhaps two important groups in there, basically split along generational lines. There's the older generation of so-called historicos. They're the revolutionaries who came down with the Castro brothers and launched the revolution. And they're old, they're in their 80s, more or less. And they are pretty hardline communists. And then there is the younger generation, which would be less ideological, more opportunistic. And they see themselves as revolutionaries who want to convert themselves into businessmen, or better put, into owners of capital. And they will have access to power and influence and privilege that non-members of the Communist Party don't have. The degree of unanimity in the Communist Party, for me, was graphically illustrated when Miguel Diaz-Canel was inaugurated as president. And in the 600-odd so-called congressmen in the National Assembly, when he walked into the room, he was clapped in. But the clapping was like North Korean-style clapping. It was entirely regimented and in time. There was no Cuban syncopation going on there. So the control that the regime has is extremely strong. And these new regulations show that they want to maintain that control as well. How desperate is the economic situation in Cuba? I think in a country where statistics are late and not always reliable, figures aren't going to give you a very good sense. But Cuba's closest ally is Venezuela, which has provided 100,000 barrels a year of subsidised oil. And Venezuela can no longer really afford to send that to Cuba. Cuba has no patron as it has in the past. There's no Soviet Union. The Venezuela can't afford to subsidize Cuba. China has extended all the credit it wants to extend and isn't extending any fresh. And then there's still the US embargo. So there's been very little or limited growth in the Cuban economy for several years. The degree of decapitalization is extraordinary. I mean, it makes Havana look very picturesque, but the city is falling down in many respects. And perhaps demographics shows the extent to which the Cuban economy is being squeezed and the lack of possibilities there. The population of Havana is one of the very few, perhaps the only cities in Latin America where the population is even shrinking as net deaths and migration from Havana are larger than migrations into it. So it's not a pretty picture and there may not be misery always in Cuba, but there's certainly poverty and the dividing line between the two is very thin. And these new regulations which would have been a way in an ideal world to get the economy going again and unleash some of Cuban's undoubted entrepreneurial spirit really aren't going to help. Thanks, John Paul. That was Hannah Murphy talking to John Paul Rathbone, the FT's Latin America editor in Miami. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news later this week. But in the meantime, do take a look at our latest subscriber offer, which you can find at ft.com forward slash offer 50.